We are LCC, a podcast emanating from the halls of Lower Canada College on Royal Avenue in Montreal. Here's alumni officer Christine Jones. Welcome to the first episode of the We Are LCC podcast. I am Christine Jones, your host, a proud LCC alum, parent, and the school's alumni officer, and we're happy you have joined us. Today, I'm excited to be talking with Matt Kundal from the class of 87. Matt is one of the best in the business of Canadian broadcasting and podcasting, and also a valued member of the LCC community. His career in the industry spans 20 years. In a moment, you'll hear how he continues to inspire others and support those who aspire to follow in his footsteps. There are a lot of great things to take away from the conversation, and today, Matt joins us from his studio in Winnipeg to tell us a bit more about his journey and career in media. I wanted to start by having you tell us a little bit about how you got started in your career. I know you were born and raised in Montreal, years on the air, and as a program director, and then a move to Winnipeg. Can you give us a little bit of your background? Yeah, after I graduated LCC in, in, in grade 12, I went to Acadia University and uh, fell in love with campus radio and uh, spent probably as much time doing campus radio as, as I, well, probably more time than I should have been at the library actually studying, uh, but managed to get a BA. But all that time I did campus radio, but then I also worked locally in the Annapolis Valley at Magic 97 um, at Annapolis Valley Radio and started my commercial radio career. So from 1989 to 1992, I was doing all nights. Uh, and I honestly, how magical was it to do all nights in a farm community where got to be heard by you know those who were up in the middle of the night? And, and strange people are up in the middle of the night. But there's also a lot of cows that got to listen to the show. <laughs> but I was really, really lucky to, to be able to you know get a – uh, a Bachelor of Arts from Acadia, and pick up a lot of radio experience at that time. Then I moved back to Montreal and, and got a job working all nights at Shome FM and did that through 1994 and wanted to do some radio that saw the light of day. Moved to Edmonton and worked at 100.3 The Bear, which is as outlandish as as it sounds, as a big bad rock station out uh, in Edmonton, owned by Standard Radio, uh, which was one of the bigger radio companies uh, back in the 90s, and where it was all creativity and doing shows and putting on a product that was that was fun and outlandish and at times childish, but also lots of community service that I learned and worked my way up to being the music director and then assistant program director. And from there, moved back to Montreal in 2002 to work at Shome, where we put a fresh coating of paint on a legendary and heritage brand in Montreal. And I stayed there till 2006 and had an offer to be the program director of a, another big bad rock station out in the prairies, this time in Winnipeg at, uh, at Power 97, and was there right through until 2014 uh, when I was sort of caught up in a, a downsizing by course. And all sorts of words get used, you know, to uh, – to move you out the door on radio, I've heard dislocated. Um, you're going to be repackaged out of here. <laughs> but the radio industry was was going through a whole lot back then. I mean, digital digital had come to the forefront in 2007 with social media um, sort of infringing on, on radio. And we saw a lot of erosion. And by 2014, uh, the writing was on the wall 
in, in the direction that, that radio was headed. And it just needed less people and less program directors and people like me. It could really sort of be run from the top and, and really has been. And in okay. 2016, I, I, I then made another pivot, and that was to, uh, to start a company, the Sound Off Media Company, which uh, wound up doing a lot of podcasting. So, so if we call it that dislocation, as you say, so what, what is it then about media and the shift that was it, a, would you call it a transition then from broadcasting to podcasting? Yeah. You know, one of the things I didn't understand was how in radio we, we wanted to get all this sort of digital infringement, but we wanted to have audience. And I looked around and there was more audio being consumed than ever before, but why wasn't radio hiring? And it turned out that a lot of people were moving into other places and it didn't necessarily have to be podcasting. It was really about, you know, streaming was, was one way you could record a lot. So the first thing I did in, in 2014, and I probably should have done this a little earlier was I built myself a, a studio in my basement. And really I did that so that I could continue to uh, do some voiceover work, whether it was to record commercials or ads or narrations for, for clients. And then I saw that, well, I've got this equipment and it's just sitting there and not much is really happening without the clients. So maybe I'll start a podcast. And you know, it was one of those things I was surprised I didn't do it sooner. But I went and sat with a friend in Edmonton in, in 2015. And he said, you don't have your podcast yet? You haven't started one? And I said, no. <laughs> but it needed a little more investigation. So I wound up going and it was actually about five years ago this very week from the time that we're recording this that I went to Chicago to the podcast movement and, and took a look at what podcast was about and the people that were involved. And it was notably different than radio. And I knew that's where the future was going to be for me at least. Right. Which, which brought you to your podcast called the podcast about broadcast. Yeah. The sound off podcast, which I named it after my company. And originally it was designed to get radio people interested in, in broadcast predominantly so that I could be a radio consultant. And I did do that for a couple of years and consulted uh, some great clients across the country, but radio consulting, I found it to be, it's, that's a different grind. And I didn't feel that in the end that being a radio consultant that, that went from town to town and, and traveling with, you know, with ideas and working with different clients, I found that to be, it was already a saturated market and filling up more and more with other radio people who were, who were let go. Uh, but then, you know, we made the transition with the company to to move more and more into podcasting. And I think just starting the podcast, people were like, well, how'd you do that? I love your show. It's there every week. Tell me a little bit about how it works. Tell me a little bit about podcasting and how'd you get on Apple and how'd you get on Google and why are you seeing success here? I began to get more and more questions about podcasts. So I started a second podcast and then kept growing from there. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about what 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 it is about podcasting, like you say, with people interested in in sort of how it works, how to get it going, and would you say that podcasting eventually will replace broadcasting, or is there always going to be a place for broadcast? I think there'll always be a place for broadcast. Radio is doing very very well, actually. I know I sort of speak as if it's in diminishing terms, but the truth is, is that radio is a seventeen billion dollar a year industry and podcasting just got to 1 billion last year in terms of ad revenue. So radio is, is doing well. Radio has incredible reach. We get in the car, the radio is the first thing that, that pops on. Radio can be a little bit expensive to run, 
I think that the joy of podcasting is is that it's on demand. So when I when people ask me about the difference between the two, and there are so many differences between the two, one is a headphone experience. I think a lot of people listening to this right now are enjoying the show, hopefully, with headphones on. When you're in the radio, when you're listening to the radio, you'll hear speakers. We turn it up. And for years in radio, we said, we be sure to talk to the listener. But that's not the way it really has worked out. Today, more than ever, people on the radio are talking at you, and it's podcasters who are talking to you. So that's a, that's another notable difference. Right. The way I read, you know, whether it's commercial ad copy or the way I would speak on the radio is completely different. So if you go back to the very first episodes that I did with the Sound Off podcast, it's loud, it's a little bit obnoxious, it, it's quite overbearing in the ears, and over over time, I managed to calm down. And, you know, it took a few beers with somebody at the... <laughs> from San Francisco. His name's Jeff Schmidt. He's actually one of the best podcast producers in North America. And he said, uh, you got to pull that back a bit. You got to remember it's a headphone experience. Think movies, think cinematic mm-hmm. more than just what you've known with radio when it comes to doing podcasts. And I also think podcasts have a lot to do with blogs, the way we write them, the way we read them, the way, you know, the subject matter that's involved with them. Podcast has a lot to do with blogs. More so than radio. I know that's that sounds weird, but if you think of it this way, that radio is live and now. And if you think of podcasting as being an on-demand medium, much the way we look at Netflix, you'll understand it a little bit better. Right. So, So what would you say then would be some of the biggest mistakes that podcasters or people wanting to make their own podcast make and do you have any thoughts on how they can be better and and what personalities need to do to make it a successful long-term project or career yeah there's a lot to think about before starting a podcast especially if you're going to start it with someone else if you're going to have a partner write out the divorce before you get married (laughs) because there seems to be an ending all the time so if you know we're doing a podcast and we break up who's going to get the show who gets the rss feed Who's going to get all the, you know, the intellectual property that you're going to walk away with? So do that first. But as well, I, I think a lot of it comes down to sound. I think some people just start a podcast and they can record it on an iPhone and they think it's really going to sound fine. And the next thing you know, you've got this sort of windy, not very nice audio experience that that you expect people to listen to. And so I really think making the sound as clean as possible is so important making it a nice listening experience. And I think that's one of the things that radio has been really good at is making a hundred thousand watt signal sound so crisp and clean. And then what do they do? They put a messy cell phone on the air and it sounds awful and scratchy. And podcasters, I think a lot of the number one complaint that a lot of people have is it sounds like echoey or it sounds like it's in a, from a tin shack and it's not a nice experience. So I'm very much about making a nice, clean audio experience because without that, it's uh, your, your show's not going to go very far or very long. People will give up on it and, and find something else. I think also you have to write out your first three episodes. You got to know what that's going to be about. It's okay to pivot and change as you go, and you will pivot and change as you go because there is a progress to it. You'll get through the first five episodes, and then you make a change, and then you get through the first Maybe you get to episode 17 and you say, you know, we make, maybe we'll make another change. And that's good. I think that's that's healthy progress as, as you go. Because it never, I mean, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time sort of wondering, oh, when am I going to start it? How's it going to go? The best thing to do is just do it. 
and then figure it out as, as you go. The most important thing I always think is to release on time and be there when people expect you to be there. If you put an episode out on Tuesdays, that's good. Make it Tuesdays. You want to do it every second week? That's okay. Just let everybody know because you have to get the listener into the habit of coming back to listen to your show. If you're putting out shows randomly, you know, there's a reason why the love boat was on every night at eight o'clock on ABC because everybody knew when to tune in and you were reminded when to tune in, but we don't have that luxury in podcast, but you can sort of formulate that by letting your listener know that you're going to be releasing in a consistent, in a consistent pattern and you'll be developing habits. And you know, in the end, what do you want from them? You want time. You want a piece of their media pie that they're going to dedicate back to you. And the only way to do that is to be consistent. And again, that's a radio lesson because every morning at 6 a.m. the news comes on or at 7 a.m. And you know exactly when to listen to your favorite radio personality because they're on at the same time. You're already trained to go back. Right. So I know along with those best practices, you've often referenced and I know spoken to um, Valerie Geller, who's uh, an acclaimed broadcast consultant and and coach, I guess, in the industry. Um, she talks a lot about how to never lose a listener. And in your opinion, what would you say would be, you know, a couple of things to never lose a listener? Well, I think the first thing you have to remember in podcasting is that you have the most listeners at the very beginning when you hit play. And from that moment, it is all downhill from here because people will just sort of quietly drop off and, and, you know, some will go away. Some will come back, mind you. And again, I sort of reference blogs and, and also books. It's a little bit like a book. How long should a podcast be? Well, as long as it needs to be never longer. The words of James Cridland, who's a radio futurologist, who said that on my podcast. And I get that question a lot. How long should a podcast be? But at the same time, you you want to retain people as long as possible so that they're they're constantly listening, you know, through you know, to the end of the show. What is a good number? Well, if people consume, you know, if it's 80% consumption, that's pretty good. You know, a lot of people don't get to the end of a newspaper article. But throughout the show, there are things you can do to, to drive people away. So I think you should be reengaging the listener, you know, every two to five minutes, whether that's going to be a new question or new subject matter or um, and as well. Editing is really important. Take out all the stuff. And hopefully, I mean, that's going to be something you're going to do is you're going to take out the boring parts of this interview mm-hmm. and leave people with only the parts that you feel that they need to hear. That's OK. I mean, anything you can record, you can make better which is why people say, why do you edit your podcasts so definitively? And those Valerie Geller was the one who said, anything you can record, you can make better. Well, podcasting is pretty much all recorded. So there you have it. Right. Uh, You know, you know, she lives by the words of make it matter. Never be boring. Always tell the truth. And if you can stick to those three principles, whether you're on the radio, whether you're an Instagrammer, TikTok, you know, these are the ways that you can be authentic and, you know, being authentic is really going to hold a lot of people to the show. And what would you say then in your career would um, your most memorable highlights be over the last 20 years? Wow. You know, I get asked that question every once in a while and I'm never really sure what it was because it was all a great ride. But I think 
I'm very proud of my time in Edmonton working and being the afternoon drive host at at 100.3, the bear. I had a great partner in Jake Daniels and we had a great chemistry. It wasn't a great chemistry for the first few months. Nothing good ever is. It takes time to develop it, but we became good friends and we just knew how we knew who we were and we knew what made the other person tick. And I think when you have that, that sort of chemistry with someone, it, it's pretty magical. We were offered chances to go to the morning show. At the time, I had three kids under the age of two, and I thought that would be a very bad health move for me to start getting up in Edmonton at four in the morning and minus whatever the temperature it was back then and try to do morning radio. There's incredible pressure to do that. And one of the, one of the things I knew is that I don't perform very well before a certain hour of the day. And uh, so I passed that up and then wound up going back to Montreal to, to do programming at Shome, which I thought was was more reasonable hours. I mean, morning radio, getting up in the middle, it'll getting up in the middle of the night is a little bit nuts. And I'm glad I didn't turn that into any part of my career. I think I did it for three days and I was done. Uh, but I'm also proud of going back to Montreal to put the shine back on Shom FM, which had sort of languished in the nineties. And then throughout, you know, the new millennium did very well for itself and established, reestablished its uh, classic rock brand. And then coming out to Winnipeg to, to program power 97, I mean, many, many successful ratings books. Um, a lot, there were, we had a lot of competition come at us and, and try to take us down. And, you know, in the end, the station is, uh, is still there. Wow. Any, any um, memorable interviews that you've done? Yeah. So I get that question a lot. And this is a little bit easier because I have to remember it, but I always say Mick Jagger. We had, we had Mick Jagger on the air for 10 minutes one time and we would ask silly questions, but you know, especially in the nineties, I had pretty much every rock band come through my studio. So whether it was George Thorogood, you know, whether it was Jefferson airplane, I I mean, I, I haven't interviewed a Beatle, (laughs) but I might've come close a couple of times, but Pretty much anybody affiliated with rock after that I've had a chance to speak to, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've, you've got time also for the Beatles, at least one of them, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe a chance with, with Paul or Ringo. And, and Paul is still actively out there doing stuff and still doing interviews. So there's still time. Of course. And does that still happen um, in radio, would you say? Or has the era of these live interviews sort of dwindled a little? It's dwindled. I, I think musicians now can, they have a lot more control over the way they put themselves out there and what they can do and how they want to be seen so they can choose who their interviews are. I've seen a few podcasters who, there's two of them in Ottawa. They're actually, there's, there's an 11-year-old in Ottawa named Xander who's got a podcast, but you know, he has famous people on there all the time and famous people want to go out and talk to kids. So you don't have to stop at your local radio station to do this. And most of the stuff can be recorded in advance. You can also record it for one company and then just, you know, send it up and down the chain as it were. So musicians can pick and choose who they want to be interviewed by and they can really sort of control their their image and, and how they're seen and who's a friend of, they can have their their best friends really interview them, which is which is quite nice. Maybe it's kind of sad because the days are gone of the big blow up in the studio of artists who were unhappy with the interview. We don't hear as much of that anymore, which is too bad. Right, right. I was listening to some music the other day and there, that famous 80s song, Video Killed the Radio Star, came on. And I thought about 
our, our conversation, which was happening in a few days. Yeah. It's amazing. That song was actually so wrong. It changed things, but you know, even it never now, killed it. No, it didn't. I mean, audio is a wonderful medium. The nice thing about audio is somebody is probably vacuuming right now. Somebody is doing something else while they're listening to what we're doing. And so a lot of people come up to me and they say, Hey, should I be on YouTube? Should we be putting my podcast up on YouTube? I go, you can, if you want, but I don't see anybody on the train staring at their phone, doing a YouTube video without getting sick and train sick as it were, or sideways. And you need to have YouTube premium anyway, if you want to be able to, to stream and do something else. I see a lot of people listening to podcasts, but also texting or they're doing their work or some people are doing housework or some people are driving the car. Right. Simpler requirements, I guess. Yeah. The nice thing about podcasts is you can be doing something else while you do something else. Right. Right. That doesn't make any sense. You can be doing something else while you're listening to the podcast. (laughs) Right. And what's, what's coming after podcasting? What's, what are we to expect in the future? I think it's going to grow. I think we, when we look at podcasting in terms of a baseball game, I've heard a few things, but it's early innings, as it were. Some people say it's a second inning. I heard somebody today say it was about the fourth inning. I think we're probably in the middle third. And do you view yourself as pivoting always as the as the industry transforms itself? Or do you feel that you've landed in this podcast space and the, you know, giving back and sort of guiding your clients and other people doing it? Is this where you you're set to stay? That's a great question because, you know, in the end, I don't control exactly where the audio winds up getting consumed. I'm very excited to, I'm so lucky to get out of bed every day. And just in the last two years, Google made a pivot and now they're into podcasting. Amazon made a pivot. So when somebody makes a pivot, the nice thing is about when you work with me is that it's like, oh, Amazon announced that they're now into podcasting. I've already put your podcast now up on Amazon. You don't have to worry about anything, but we're going to pay attention to the future and see where it takes us. In the end, it's really the listener. In the end, it's really the listener who decides how you're going to be consumed. So if your audience is on YouTube, go ahead and be on YouTube. If your audience is on radio and they listen to radio, you should probably be on the radio. If they love Instagram, you should probably be doing some Instagram stories every day in order to connect with them. So in the end, it's really the audience that that decides it all. Right. And I guess the audience is quite segmented, especially now with the changes that we've seen over the last number of years with social media and and platforms like TikTok and Snapchat. And while I know those aren't necessarily just audio platforms, um, there's a generation that that tends to be drawn more to those versus maybe just audio. Do you see that in podcasting? Do, is, is, is it more of a generational thing of a certain type of listener? It's a good question. I think the way people listen to podcasting is definitely generational. So if you have an older aged podcast and by older, I sort of mean like in the Gen X area, a lot of those people are going to be listening on the purple app on Apple podcasts. But when you talk to somebody millennial or possibly Gen Z, they're more likely to be using Spotify Mm. and also where and how people connect to those stars is different. So for instance, there's Shannon Burns, who happens to be um, on iHeartRadio, but she's also on TikTok. 
And so I mentioned the name Shannon Burns and people say, oh, she's a TikTok star. Oh, she's a radio star. And these are people that are in the same room, but from different generations. So being able to connect with your audience on those platforms in whichever way is really important. Right. And would you say that um, for any students wanting to study, let's say, media and communications, that the programs are shifting with the changing times as well? Or is it more that you need the experience and you have to just kind of get your feet wet and and do it that way? I want to say kids today, but I don't think they're <laughs> kids. They're, they strike me as being so much more. Uh, today because they're so media savvy and they're already so astute. And I think they've done a lot of their homework. Remember I was telling you about, it, it's going to be the audience that defines, you know, how you're consumed. Well, this generation is the one that is defining how media is going to be shaped. So do your homework. And if you feel that you're connecting to, you know, the program that you want to go to in media, it's probably going to be the one It works the same for universities. You do a trip around the university you like the school, you get good feels from it, it's probably the one. And the same thing goes with media, because especially you're already so media savvy. And if you start to hear the things that that you know, you already know about Instagram, and you already know about posting of stories, and you've already got a TikTok following, and you've already got it, you know, know how YouTube works, you know how to edit, then this is all going to be fairly easy for you. And, you know, you'll be able to connect with the program that way. Um, stand by, my brain's freezing. No, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um, where was I going with this? Um, yeah. Yeah. So you remember that it's the younger people who sort of define how people are going to consume it. Well, you're going to define exactly how your program is going to be. So many radio schools that I've been working with over the last few years haven't updated their programs. So you're probably not going to be going to school for radio, but you're probably going to want to go to school for media. And that's going to include, you know, having to edit video, having to edit for TikTok, having to engage on, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. Right. Any parting words you'd like to leave the listeners with in terms of your future, the future of the industry? The future is exciting. I love waking up and finding out about new stuff every day. Um, I'm really, really interested to see how privacy is going to play into all this. And one of the things that podcasting is really fortunate for, and that's it doesn't have all the invasive technology in it the way Facebook does, Google does about gathering data and information. When it comes to podcasting, it's really just an RSS feed, which means it's just an IP address. And from that, you can find out how you listened and on the IP address, so where you listened. And that's the only two pieces of information. And so with Apple moving into their, you know, being all about privacy, it's going to be interesting to see how podcast sort of tries to find its way into an advertising world that is all about, you know, attribution. So I'm really interested to see that. Well, and we're interested to see where you end up with your future as well. Thanks for stopping by today. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to We Are LCC. For more, go to lcc.ca slash podcast. 
And remember to hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.